0: At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
1: This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show... Today on The James Altucher Show. So many people were recommending this book to me, The Gap and the Gain by Dr. Benjamin Hardy and Dan Sullivan. I think this book almost perfectly describes why I lost all my money in several different times and also lost many other things in my life and so have many other people. And it also talks about ways to bounce back, how to focus your mindset and your life so that you're living in the gain and not the gap. And what that means, Ben Hardy describes on the podcast. Dr. Benjamin Hardy, uh, you wrote The Gap in the Gain along with Dan Sullivan. Many of my friends told me, you have to read this book. You have to read this book. It's great. I read it and they were right. And of course, I'm sure many of your readers tell you, this book has reminded them of their own experiences, whether it's going broke or having a bad relationship or daily stuff. And since Ben, you're a psychologist, I'm going to use this as a therapy session.
0: Perfect, and man. so, <laughs> so great. You're, you're,
1: you're going to help me, but let, let's, the book's called the gap and the gain. And if I could describe it, it's beautiful. The visual way you put it, that basically we have a starting moment and we set these goals, like our ideal situation And then let's say we have some goals over a year. At the end of the year, we've made progress, but maybe we're not in our ideal situation. We either can measure the gains, like what we've achieved during the year, and then we're happy to see how much we've achieved, or we measure the gap, that area between what you achieved and what you thought was your ideal. And if we're focused too much on that, we're never going to be happy. And I'll just tell you one quick story, and then I'd love to get get your perspective.
0: Yeah, I want to hear the story, and I want to hear why you like it or what sticks out.
1: Well, lots of stories occurred to me on almost every page while reading this book. And also I thought of ideas for my, my kids too, while reading your book. But, um, uh, I think this was like in maybe 2009 or 2010, I was worried about, I was on my way to going broke. It was after the financial crisis and I just had nothing going on in my life. And I had no. I always, since 1997, I've always made money just doing my own thing. I, I haven't had a job. So I I either eat what I kill or I don't eat. (laughs) And so I was very nervous and scared and anxious and so anxious I couldn't sleep and I was going crazy. So I made an appointment with a psychiatrist and he said, well, um, first time I met him, he said to me, well, how can I help you? And I said, I'm afraid the only thing that's going to help me is if you write me a check right now for a million dollars. And he of course laughed a little bit and he said, I I have a feeling that that's not what's going to help you. And that that was the very first story that came to mind when I started reading your book.
0: <laughs> That's pretty awesome. I like it.
1: So so tell me about it. Where where did this come from?
0: The original idea was from Dan Dan Sullivan. For those who don't know Dan, he's like a seventy eight year old guy. He's got a company called Strategic Coach. He's been coaching high level entrepreneurs for like forty five years. You know and. I just happened to be one of his students for a long period of time. And ultimately, we ended up collaborating on books. We wrote a book called Who Not How Together. It was like three or four years ago. So like three or four years ago, I spent a lot of time writing on medium.com. And I know I've read your work on multiple levels, you know, at different places. But I read, back in 2018, I read his little version of the book. So Dan writes little books, and he mostly keeps them internal for his clients. Like, he was almost like a cult following guy. Like, no one really knew who he was. (laughs) But I read his little book called The Gap and the Gain back in 2018, and it blew my mind. Um, I was studying psychology. I was a foster parent of three kids, and I just could see that, like, I live my life in the gap. You know, and when you're in the gap, you're always measuring yourself against where you ideally wish you were.
1: Or uh, there's a, I think feel like there's a lot of ways to describe the gap. It's yeah, it's, yeah. It's like when you when you look back at your day and you look at the negatives, like, yeah. oh, you had hoped to write a chapter on your new book, but instead worked on crossword puzzles all day and <laughs> had, a, had an, and fired your agent or whatever. And I think a lot of people get into it's it's a habit to to kind of. Uh, Opt for the negative view of things instead of the positive I mean there's there's like a million examples, but I, I I think it's most common when you on a daily basis, when you wanted to achieve something and you didn't end up doing it, you might have done other things or you might have even wasted your day in some way, and you kind of just focus on that and and nothing else
0: exactly i mean it, it really is when you're measuring what is against what ideally should have been, you know, oh, so... Oh,
1: oh and I, I'm sorry I had to interrupt, but I, I just wanted to add, on a macro way, it could be you're 28 years old and you thought you would have your first million by then and you don't. Exactly. So even though you you maybe got a PhD and or you, maybe you started a family and got a lot of experience working in the corporate world, you only say to yourself, ah, but some of my friends made a million and I didn't, I failed.
0: Exactly. I mean, being in the gap makes your current position into a joke, you know, it makes it makes wherever you're at now, a losing position, you know, as an example. So my first book came out in 2018, it was called willpower doesn't work. And you know, I wanted to hit the New York Times bestseller list. And, you know, I had gotten a great book deal, I'd worked so hard, I published it, sold many copies, but because it didn't hit that list, I felt like a failure for like four months, you know, and so whenever you're in the gap, you make your current situation like crap, you totally devalue your past. And to your point, you devalue your day, if you feel like I didn't accomplish my three items, so now I'm today was a bad day. Like, um, you've what you've just done is you've taken your experience and you've devalued it. When you're the only person who has access to your own experience, no one has access to your day but you when you're looking at it at the end of the day. And so if you if you've now framed it as today sucked, like that's on you. It's your choice how you frame your experiences. Um, well, what if today really did suck?
1: <laughs> like, what if yeah. like okay, all your stocks <laughs> went down. <laughs> And your only thing to do, let's say, is working on a book and you just did crossword puzzles all day and you you were hoping to call your kids, but you didn't because you were playing crossword puzzles. (laughs) And then you ate a lot of junk food, even though you were trying to eat healthy. And then you went to bed late, even though you knew you had to get up early so you didn't get a good night's sleep. Like what if your day really was like that?
0: (laughs) Yeah, so the question now is, you you can either be mad at yourself because that happened which would be in the gap. You can you can you can go ahead and be mad at yourself and your former self and you can be upset or you can turn today into a gain and learn from it. You can say what you know what what about today can I actually learn from? Why did you eat all those chips? Why did you do the crossword puzzles? Like being in the gain isn't just about ignoring reality, it's about choosing how you frame reality, but also choosing to get gains from your experience. And so that day, the day you just described, that person still has a choice if they want to get value from that day, or if they just want to flush it down the toilet, they can flush it down the toilet, or they can actually look at it, analyze it for a little bit and say, what about today had value? What can I get from it so that it it actually was a gain, even though I totally didn't do what I wanted to? What about me is actually a little further along because today occurred? You know, that's a choice. I'll give
1: an example from my own life. Like obviously, you know, for a long time, I was a professional investor. And to some extent, I still am. So let's say stocks or investments are a part of my life. And on a day when stocks go down, I would say it's disappointing. But I think one way I can I make that into the gain is that I appreciate how I'm much, I have a much different perspective on what loss means, you know, whether it's temporary or permanent than I did like, let's say 20 years ago or even five years ago. So I can appreciate that my new perspectives on, on loss kicked in. And I wasn't, I was was upset as I used to be 20 years ago. And in fact, I had an enjoyable day playing crossword puzzles instead of reloading my portfolio, something like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite quotes comes from David Hawkins. He basically said that you never see the outside world. You only see your own reactions to it. So like, yeah, the stock market went down, but the only thing you actually see is your reaction to it. Maybe in the past- it just totally wrecked your life. It wrecked your day and put you in the, you know, whereas now you, you observed your reactions were much different and that you could be happy. And so you could frame that as a gain and, and measure your current self against your former self and how you handle loss now or how you respond to life. I mean, so you can still choose to be in the game, but also when it is it is interesting, you know, stock market's a really good example. The stock market as a whole or even like as an example crypto or anything could be up like 500% on the year but you know over the last week it might be down 10% and the only thing you're seeing is that you're down 10% versus really measuring that you're actually at 400% on the last 12 you know 12 months or something like so you know sometimes it's good to have a different frame of reference as well and actually see where you are versus where you were before but also i liked your point about how you react to situations
1: yeah because there's the situation then there's the, how you reacted to it. And then there's even more meta, like how you reacted to your reaction. So like, (laughs) so like there's your mindset, but then there's the meta aspect of, can I improve my mindset? Which is really your, your book is the meta of the meta because you're, I I should, I should state that you, there's all sorts of research in here that also states how your approach to living in the gains versus the gap is not only um, demonstrably healthier. People live longer, but also is uh, key to success. And you, you, there's all sorts of studies, even one study with nuns where they live longer when they the, the nuns who are, have a kind of more optimistic, not optimistic, but a more positive outlook on, on their experiences and, and so on. I love some of the techniques you listed in the book. And th- there was one in particular that stood out that I wanted to call my daughter as soon as this podcast is over. <laughs> At the end of every day, you know, list three of your wins and share them with someone.
0: The original basis of this, is, you know, all the research on gratitude. Gratitude's obviously an essential frame towards life, but you know, the research just shows it's that simple. Write down three things you're grateful for at the end of the day. It literally improves your happiness levels and your sleep. Framing three wins for the day is a little different than gratitude. Because let's let's just go back to that day, the one you described, of all the stuff that went wrong. If a person is sitting in their journal, you know, rather than scrolling their cell phone, like if they're sitting in their journal and just looking at the end of the day and actually finding three wins, it's kind of the idea that you find whatever you're looking for. Psychologists call it selective attention. Whatever you focus on expands. And also whatever you want or whatever you're looking for, you'll find more of. And so if that person could look back at the day and just say, okay, nothing that I planned to went right, but what are three wins that I could actually find today? Well, I actually did have that call with my friend that I hadn't talked to for five years. You know, you actually find three wins. Or three things you could learn from the day. First off, it helps you to not only see that today actually did have some value, but it also then allows you to choose better wins for tomorrow and to start finding more and more wins from life.
1: Yeah, this is kind of like the the Honda Civic effect, right? Like where if you buy once you buy a Honda Civic, suddenly when you're driving, all you notice are all, all the hundreds of Honda Civics on the road that you never noticed before. So if you start training your brain on you get into the habit of looking at the positives in your life you'll start to see more opportunity going forward as well.
0: You know, I I, I grew up in a pretty traumatic environment. My, my parents got divorced when I was 11. I'm the oldest of three. My father gets so depressed by the by the divorce that he becomes an extreme drug addict. Like me and my friends are in one room playing World of Warcraft. My dad's next door doing really hard drugs, you know, like with friends. And like, it was not expected. That's not who he was planning to be. So that was kind of my whole life from junior high and high school. But- that really impacted my brother, Trevor, who's uh, two years younger than me. And he ended up dropping out of high school, getting into drugs and stuff like that. And you could say the last like 10 years of his life has been kind of a lot of battles. Um, but even for someone like him, he won't really be able to move forward if he's still all in the gap about his past. And, and, and really, if you're in the gap about your past, any form of past, it could be the last 10 years, it could be the last 10 days. That's just the worst place to be in to move your life forward. Like at some point you gotta actually start seeing the gain. You gotta actually start actually evaluating your own progress. And we're not worrying about how your progress measures up to anyone else or how anyone else values your progress.
1: But but let me ask you this. Like you, you talk about don't compare yourself to others. And obviously that's a, everybody's got that problem to some extent, some more than others. But you kind of suggest, you know, or you imply maybe you should compare yourself intrinsically to who you were, to how you've gained. But what if even when you do that comparison in the way you normally measure things, you haven't achieved as much, let's say, let's say someone looks back and they say, oh, I haven't achieved as much this month as the month before, or this year as the year before. Like, it seems like no matter what metric you do to measure your gains at some point it's going to be negative.
0: Sometimes you have to reframe how you define success. You know, if your only measure of success is financial, as one example, then of course, there's going to be years where you're actually not doing better than you were before the question then becomes, are you as a person further along or not? Like that's your choice to decide, you know, and I think it then forces you to think about deeper metrics of success. It forces you to think more deeply about, am I actually learning and improving and growing? You know, the person who, whose startup fails. Yeah, maybe their startup was crushing it, and then all of a sudden something happened and it failed. So yeah, like from an outside perspective, Maybe they're maybe they're in the total dumps and they're in trouble. But the question for that person is: if they're going to move forward, how can they actually be glad that they're in this situation and turn it into something good? Their situation isn't going to get better by being mad that that happened. Their situation is going to be better by you know it's not going to be better by being upset about the past. Um, their situation can only get better once they actually start being okay. With what happened and learning to actually be grateful for it they call that post-traumatic growth
1: and then moving forward well let's take your dad as an example so let's say in his worst moment he is looking at his life and he's like well five years ago i was happily married i had a job i wasn't using drugs and now i just have shitty friends i'm using drugs (laughs) my kids are in the other room i'm doing drugs instead of hanging out with them what could your dad have done maybe to start turning things around and given that it's much harder when you're at a bottom
0: to do that. I think that's great. We all have good and bad days. Even people who are in great situations can make themselves feel like everything's gone to hell. It gets better once you start to realize you're not actually at nothing. If you focus on what you lack, you'll lose what you have. If you focus on what you do have, you'll gain what you lack. And so I think in the case of my dad, an important thing to remember is is that no matter what situation you're in, your situation right now actually has enormous potential. If you're in the gap, you feel like your potential is very limited. But if you're in the gain, you realize no matter where you're at right now, there's enormous potential. As an example, with my dad, one gain is is that we were actually still coming to his house. We hadn't fully abandoned him yet. Like we actually were still having dinner with him, even though they were like microwave burritos. Like we were still coming around. He didn't lose us. Like and so easily he could have. If he was in a gain perspective, realize like he still had a a law practice, even though like he was barely running it. Like he he still had a lot of things going for him that if he was in the gain, he would have been able to actually start investing in those things and actually start turning them into bigger gains. If you're in the gap, is all he is in my case. My dad is all he's thinking about is man, I really screwed it up with with my wife, and like I'm now a failure. There's really nothing else I can do. I'm you know like it just puts you down this this zone of thinking where because it didn't happen how it should have or how you thought it was going to, now you're almost like a lost cause when like right now you're not a lost cause. Like you still actually got some stuff you can work with.
1: But it's so overwhelming. Like I I take the, during times when I was going broke, let's say 2001 or, or around then I was going broke after selling my first business. And I was just so miserable and so down because I thought I had set up my family for, generations. And then I literally went from millions to to zero, lost my home, <laughs> lost everything. And, and like you even point out in the book, like at the time it was horrible, but now it's like a great story. I've written books about it. I've I've written articles and, and it became part of my, my thing that I was able to help people by describing how I bounced back. But at the time I didn't know how to bounce back. I didn't know what to do. I didn't, I couldn't even imagine bouncing back.
0: Yeah. Well, well, looking at you now, obviously you've turned that experience into gains big time. I mean, you've framed it, you know, you've, you've probably learned a lot from that, you know, Absolutely. but, 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 I, but well, I what could I have done then? Yeah. But yeah. Well, and that's really what the, the book invites people to do is it's not about never going into the gap. We're all <laughs> human beings are going to go in the gap. If I, if I found out today that one of my kids got hit by a car and died, like I would be pretty, I'd go in the gap, you know, I'd be like, yeah. I'd be very devastated. Um, But what what I know now, or what I at least believe, is is that my life won't be able to move forward from that place until I get back into a gain. And so at some point or another, you did start moving forward. You started learning. you You might not have loved that that happened where you went from millions to nothing, but at some point or another, you started becoming okay with it and started moving forward. And at some point or another, then you started really shifting the narrative around it so it stopped being a trauma. And you started being more okay with it and then learning from it. Then you started turning into a positive. And so I guess in a simple terms, that's why the three wins every night is good practice. It's kind of like getting reps, honestly. Like as an example, back to your day that you shared with us where the person did nothing. That's pretty low hanging fruit compared to losing millions of dollars. If you can actually bounce back from that day, you'll get better at bouncing back from the big stuff. And so I think that just learning to, to turn small situations into gains um, where you can take something something that was just small, learn how to get that into the game, turn that into a game so you can bounce back from that faster. I think though having language about it really helps. Like, you know, like I'm in the gap. Like just being able to actually say it and realize it that like I'm measuring what is against what I ideally want it to be. How can I turn this into just something better? How can I turn this into growth?
1: Yeah, it it's interesting because I think I did over the years get aware, oh, I'm having this situation again, but here's how I've handled it in the past. And, and, and my turnaround time has always been much faster each, each time. You know, what I ended up doing back then in 2001, more, more like 2002, 2003, every morning, and this is similar to the journaling you write about in the book, every, in the morning I would write, I started writing 10 ideas every day, like yeah. ideas for myself. And so it kind of gave me hope that I could implement these ideas one day, And I'll move forward. And and also it occupied my mind coming, you know, just doing, like you say, it's like reps, just occupying my mind with kind of a difficult problem, which is finding the problem was how to find opportunities for myself rather than just regretting or dreading. uh, But actually thinking about things that could happen, possibilities did actually, you know, make those ideas turn into gains.
0: Well, I think you, you hit on something really beautiful there, and that's the idea of hope. Like, think about you when your, when your business grew, you know, when your millions went down to nothing. Like, that could be a pretty devastating situation, which I'm sure it was, and, you know, we've all had some losses. But if you were to sit in that situation, in the, in the heat of it, and actually look back and, and, and go back to where you were before you ever made those millions, and to think, like, I actually made those millions. I mean, I did it once. You know, and you actually take all that you learned... It, it gives you a sense of hope. Like, that's, I think, one of the things that the gain actually does is when you actually can look back and you can see, you know, maybe things didn't go exactly as planned, but I did learn some stuff along the way. Like, who I am now is actually more informed and aware than who I was even two or three weeks ago, even though I maybe have made some pretty big blunders. In the, like, my former self made those blunders because I wasn't, I wasn't as smart as I am now. I made this, you know, and so and so. I think it gives you hope that you can move forward, and that hope is really essential. I mean, without hope, you're kind of screwed. But you know,
1: sometimes, and you know, as you point out, things get even worse. Like the next time I made money and then was going broke again, it coincided with uh, my dad had a stroke, and it and he kind of was immobilized by the stroke, like he couldn't move. We didn't know if he was actually awake or not, even though his eyes were open, and. I remember thinking I would visit him all the time. And I remember thinking things were never getting better for him. They just got worse and worse and worse in this horrifying way for, I'm sure if he was conscious at all, it was horrifying for him. And then eventually he died and it made me and in parallel with my own situation. I was thinking, you know, things always do seem to get better, but here's an example really personal to me where it just doesn't get better. There is no way, he could even if he had a conscious thought. There's no way to himself to say to himself, "This is a good thing, and I'm going to get better." He just never got better. So I'm wondering, like I got, I almost got like this PTSD from that moment. Of sometimes it's really hard to to realize that things could get better. You've seen if when you've seen examples where they just get worse.
0: Yeah, and in those situations, um, you know, for you. You're the only person who governs your own perspective and your own experience. So, like you get to, you know, and and the same is true of your dad. And and I know that in his case, like you know, he was losing some cognitive or, or whatever he was going through. But for you, just as you as an individual, at the end of the day, you are the one who ultimately decides was it a gap or was it a gain. Like, are you in the gain about your dad and all that you went through? And that's it. At the end of the day, is you have to control how you feel about it. And I get that he, you know, he went downhill and he did die and we're all going to die at some point, but you, you're the only person at the end of the day who decides how you feel about what happened. And you can be, you can be devastated by it or you can really be grateful uh, for everything of your dad's life.
1: Yeah. And I I like your example with um, the woman's, the the college woman's soccer team where the coach Uh, if they lost a game and losing a game is horrible because you've trained for it, you've spent the week waiting for it, there's only so many games in the season and the other team was mocking you all throughout and you lose. And so everybody kind of goes into the locker room and they're all depressed and he basically sets a timer and gives them five minutes to be depressed, but then they have to, then he gives... 10 minutes where they talk about what went good in the game. And then 20 minutes where they talk about what other people did well in the game, you know, on their team. And I thought it was really beautiful. See then they went on to win uh, the, the, the division NCAA division two for women's soccer. I think, I think it was soccer. And I thought that was a great exercise to give yourself only five minutes to feel down about something before you start looking at for the positives, whether you think at the beginning of that, you might not think there are any positives, but as you mentioned, there's always something you could, Tell yourself, and I I call this a difficult gratitude problem. It's always (laughs) easy. You can be grateful. Oh, I have kids. I'm grateful. But, oh, I'm late to see my kids because I got stuck in traffic. So you could be all upset, but a difficult gratitude problem is saying, I'm stuck in traffic because I live in this amazing city and everybody else wants to be at, and, you know, and then I'm going to have a great time with my kids once I get to them in this amazing city.
0: Well, and, and and the gain, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is like the research on like when you're in a negative mindset, you you kind of go tunnel vision and you start just you 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 limit yourself to what's available. You know, you're in the middle of traffic in a big city, you're you're an hour late for going and hanging out with your kids. If you're if you're pretty upset about that, you know, you have little options. But if you can turn the situation into a gain, you can't again, you can't change the fact that you're in traffic. Like, but you can change how you think about it, how you feel about it, and then what you do because of it. And, and you know, what the research obviously shows is that when you're in a more positive state of mind, that's what they call the broaden and build theory. You broaden your perspectives, and then you can you can start to build upon the situation. And so if you're upset about it, you'll call your son and be like, can't do anything about this, man. Like, we're in traffic. It's kind of a crap, you know. it's. Just... Or if you're in a gain perspective, like, how do I actually turn this situation into something useful? Yeah, we're going to be an hour late for the game or whatever we missed, but like, now I can just sit and talk to my son for an hour. You know what I mean? Like I can just sit and talk to him. You can turn the situation into something good. Like if you, but you got to broaden your perspectives. You got you to take the situation and turn it into something. Or you can just be upset about it and you can be, you know, I mean, it's up to you, I guess.
1: I like the broadening perspective idea because it's almost like diversification. So if all your, fo- like you said earlier, not everything's about money. So if all you're focused on is your financial situation, then every other day you're going to be, depressed. Maybe one day you don't like your boss. Maybe another day you're losing money in the stock market. It's, it's nonstop. But one thing that I know that I did was if I had a, you know, this is particularly when I was a day trader, it's like 20 years ago or 18 years ago. But what I would do is diversify my well being. So, okay, if a bad day of the stock market, I'm going to have a fun time playing Scrabble online, or I'm going to, hang out with my kids or whatever. So so I always had a way of an I always had an out if I needed one to to be happy on the day.
0: I like that. No, I think that's great. And I, I one thing I just think is important for people to realize which we often don't, you know, the reason the gap occurs and and really the target audience of this book was for people like Dan's clients, people like you honestly who who are just fundamentally motivated, high-achieving people that are never usually satisfied with what they've done. And they miss a lot of the joy that could have been theirs because they're so busy wishing that they were somewhere else. You know, as, as Dan would say, entrepreneurs are often people who are here but wish they were there. It doesn't matter where here is. Wherever you are, you're here but wish you were there. And that's, that's where you're just, you know, and, and I guess what the invitation is that I like is like even just as an example, I mean, me being on this podcast with you, I remember when I read your book, Choose Yourself, when I was an undergrad, like seriously, back in like 2011. I, I, wow. loved, I loved your I loved your Choose book, by same. the way. Yeah, no, I, I loved your book, by the way. Thank you. Um, one of my favorite books I've recommended. But, but um, for me, it's fun just to sit and have a conversation with you. And for me, I can be in the game about that. And then I can measure myself backward against when I read your book and think about what the heck's happened in the last 10 years. And I think for for many high achievers, they never take the time to actually appreciate their progress and value their current situation, to value really the gold that 's happening all around them, because it doesn 't really matter what you 've done, your ideals that 's one of the things that is just true is, is your ideals never stop moving it doesn 't matter if you go up by five, you know, five million x or five million percent in the stock market or whatever it is, whatever you 're at you 're going to want something else you're gonna, you know, that's why they call yeah. it hedonic adaptation, and so the ideals never stop moving. And it's okay to have ideals. It's great to have goals. It's great to have vision. It's great to move forward. But whether it's you're going through crap or relatively speaking, you're actually succeeding a lot, the question I think it is is, are you going to go through all these experiences hating yourself and hating the experience and devaluing your progress and devaluing the experience? Or are you going to actually go through the whole thing and see every experience as a gain? Like It's, it's really that close. It's, I mean, it's like you can be happy along the way. <laughs> it's not going to slow your progress down. You can find joy
1: it's interesting because as you say, I think we all have gap days and, and gain days. Like you mentioned, um, when you were writing the book, you were kind of, uh, obsessing a little bit on marketing plans and whether it be a bestseller totally, or whatever. Totally. And you, you wrote to, uh, your editor, who's a good friend of mine, Tucker Max. He's been on this podcast like a billion times. And, uh, uh, and he, he wrote back to you, and this is very Tucker. Uh, he he wrote back, uh, are you having a gap, a gap day or something like that? Like yeah. kind of throwing it in your face a little. And we all have these moments. And I think it's like, as you said, it's, it's, I like how you viewed it as almost like reps in a gym, because you have to get, you have to get used to being self-aware enough to know you're having a gap moment. Like for instance, when you were just saying, you know, Dan, so then, deals with a lot of entrepreneurs. In fact, you know, and you point to me, people like you, high achieving, high motivated. I was, I, I, the, my very first thought was, I fooled another one again. <laughs> I'm a lazy, good for nothing, who's not really done much of anything lately. But you know, but you are I, but ambitious,
0: you, and you have dreams, and you you measure yourself against those dreams probably pretty regularly.
1: Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James to try it for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.
0: At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at Capella.edu.
1: You know, one of the things that's very important that I've been thinking about a lot is for any task you assign yourself, let's say you want to write a book in a year and you've never written a book before. So you have to get good at writing. You have to get good at sitting down and writing. You have to get good at, you know, all the things that are needed to to write a book. There's like a checklist of a hundred different things. There's a lot of people writing books and it's a zero sum game. Someone's either going to read your book or read someone else's book. So it's very competitive. When people think, oh no, it's about writing and it's about art. No, it's you're either gonna be read or not read. It's, you're competing against all the other sources of attention out there. And uh, it struck me that for any task you assign yourself, like again, like writing a book in a, in a year, you have, you're allocated a certain amount of energy. You only have a, a certain amount of energy and you can raise that a little bit, sleep well, eat well, you know, exercise, but you have, you have an allocated amount of energy to accomplish that task. And every moment you're in the gap you're taking away energy from the task. Because every time you say to yourself, oh, I, this is horrible, I can't do this, you're not helping yourself at all. And you're, and you're stealing a lot of energy because you, you, you know that's why stress and anxiety and negativity causes heart attacks and strokes and anxiety disorders and so on. So you're taking energy from yourself and your brain has to refocus on not writing the book, but on taking care of Poor little you who's <laughs> sick with anxiety. And so I always, so this is related to another. So 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 A, for me, it's a very practical, energetic thing is that if you're living in the gap, as you call it, you're literally stealing energy from what you need to be doing. But you have an example in the book that's like this. Uh, I'm trying to think which team it was. It was a sports team. Maybe it was a boating team.
0: Uh, oh yeah, uh, the British rowing team.
1: Yeah, the British rowing team. And they were losing ever, ever since 1912. They've lost every single thing. And But they just asked one question. They decided they want to win a championship or a medal or whatever. And they just asked themselves one question all day, which is this activity going to make me better at rowing? So if I eat this donut, will this help or hurt my rowing medal chances? If I go out and party all night, the, the night before uh, an event, a, a rowing event, will this help or hurt the rowing. And I think that's a really that that one little te- technique right there is very important. You can really like like for instance, eating well, I if I think about eating well as a way of looking good, then I'm just going to give up on that right away. Like there's a lot of other things that that God should have done to make me look good. <laughs> but uh if I focus on the fact that I don't want to have a stroke, for instance, or I don't want to, you know, I want to live a long, high quality life and I don't want to go to the hospitals and stuff. Okay, I'm not going to eat that donut. If I always ask myself, will this increase my life or, or reduce my lifespan, you know, quality of lifespan, then, you know, thinking in that way can lead to, you know, and again, it's about rest, but it could lead to a healthier practice. So I like that one question approach. And like I said, by the way, to, to listeners, there's all these valuable techniques. Like the one I'm going to tell my daughter is about the three, you know, write down the three wins per day, because I think she's a little bit negative right now. But just as useful would have been, you know, will this help or hurt my chances of doing X, whatever X might be? And I think that's, I think
0: that's very, that's very valuable. I appreciate that. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I like the, will it make the book go faster? And I think that, um, you know, that, that section of the book really is about deciding your own criteria for success, you know, like no one else gets to determine your success criteria and then actually using your criteria as the, you know, for yourself to determine your behavior.
1: Let me ask you a question. Why didn't you, um, a lot of people talk about when you're worried about something, ask yourself, well, what's the worst case scenario? And then when you really think about the worst case scenario, you find that it's not that bad. It's not as horrible as you thought. You're not dead, for instance, in the worst case scenario of most situations. But you don't really you don't really advocate that as a technique is that because it is too negative way to think
0: or I'm not against it at all. I actually love that. I love that mindset of uh what's the worst case scenario or, or you know, I think that that's I think that's totally fine. Um I don't know why I didn't put it in the book. Honestly, maybe I just didn't think about it, <laughs> but the, you know, the main thing that I was hoping to get, you know, from the book or or to provide was helping people take their current position and increase the value of it as much as possible actually see that they are further along than they were before or take their situation and turn it into something better by actually taking ownership of their own experience so so to answer the question i just i honestly just didn't even think about it like it you know it, it just didn't come to my mind as something that fit within where not, i was right not that i
1: needed to because i mean in a sense by just focusing on the gains um you're always thinking instead of just in your mind thinking okay well if this 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 happens in the future which uh, you know another well known fact is that out of every 100 things we worry about 200 of them don't happen so <laughs> you know uh so our ability to to predict our own future is very horrible but uh uh you know if you're focused on the gains anyway maybe you don't have to think about that and another thing that like you 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 point this out but you know there there's one section where A a story you're telling the guy is asking why why did this happen to me why did they behave like this you know i forget the exact why questions he was was asking but i find it's it's and maybe uh, tell me if you agree i find it's never useful to ask why like if someone treats you badly or if you lose your job you say why did i get fired i was so so, doing so well you're never going to get an answer you're never going to get a correct answer no one's going to tell you the truth about anything so like i find i find why why questions
0: lead to the gap honestly
1: yeah why is that (laughs) I'm gonna ask you a white question. Well,
0: because, well, so, and that story was about a close friend of mine named Richie Norton. Um,
1: uh, yeah, right. Yeah. And he's That's just a, horrible a story.
0: freaking awesome guy, but his son died, you know, and so he was obviously who wouldn't be bummed out if your child died. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, for a long time, he was asking, like, why me? You know, why, why did this happen to me? Why, well, you know, God, why, uh, why did you do this to me and not to someone else? Someone else's child, you know, was sick and their child lived. Like, And so what those kind of thoughts lead to is it usually leads to you comparing your situation with someone else's, you know, and feeling like, why did this happen to me and not to someone else, right? And, like, you know, that just puts you in kind of a comparing and, and, and it, it doesn't really solve the problem because there is, actually is no answer to the question. You know, and so it just leads you down a, a, a rat hole or like a, a a rabbit hole of trying to, it, it, when you ask why, you're upset that it didn't happen ideally how it should have, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, in that standpoint, rather than looking for a meaning, you ultimately have to choose your own, you know. Um, and that's that's ultimately what Richie started doing was he started to choose to d- just decide his own meanings rather than trying to find one that didn't exist. There is no inherent meaning, by the way. There is no inherent meaning in anything. Like, the meaning that even Richie and his wife would come up with would be two different meanings because there is no inherent meaning in things. The meaning is only what the person gives it.
1: And even if you ask why where there is an answer, but you just don't know it. Let's take your dad as an example again. Why did his wife, your mom, leave him? I'm sure he wanted to know why, but he never probably got the real answer.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, luckily. I mean, there might
1: have been some practical things going on, like actual things happening that caused a divorce, but we don't know the deeper meanings why they, they happened.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, w- I would say in some cases, why questions might be useful. Like, just as one example, like, you know, let's just say my books aren't selling. And I actually ask the reader, like, why do, why do you think it didn't do as well as, it? you know, like from your standpoint? Obviously, I'm still get to control my own narrative, but it's like, what could have made it you know why do you think it's it's not working you know like you could potentially get some info like in the case of my dad luckily my parents actually still have a pretty close relationship they're still amazing friends although you know to your point i think if they were to really go down the rabbit hole of having a real conversation about that topic it would be pretty tough um
1: yeah because on the one hand they might not know on the other hand they might not want to tell the truth
0: no it's true uh yeah I mean, you know, you're a you're a parent, and so like you know this. Like, if I ask my kid if they did something stupid, why did you do that? You know what I mean? Like, it's not going to lead to anything positive.
1: Well, you have that story in the book, like uh, about your uh, your one of your adopted (laughs) kids. He, you felt like he was always trying to weasel his way out of. You use the word weasel. uh, Weasel his way out of doing homework. My first thought was. Good for him. He's like <laughs> fi- figuring out that school's useless, and he's going to do better things in life. And but See, that's but a gain asked, right
0: there. That's okay. That's, right. a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a different perspective, right? But
1: but you at first asked him why are you why are you always doing this, and he kind of withdrew. And then when you guys talked about it later, it became a close moment. And uh, I think that's I think that even asking why is not going to improve the relationship between you and the person that you'd like the relationship to be better.
0: No, I mean especially if something doesn't go well. You know, it's like, well, you know, you're a football coach and the quarterback throws an interception. Why'd you do that? It's like, you know what I mean? Like,
1: well, when I woke up this morning, I was planning <laughs> to throw at least one interception today. <laughs> yeah. You
0: know, and I, I, whenever I hear myself ask my kid a why, like, why did you do that? I, I already know that I've just put them in the gap. I'm in the gap. And now they're just going to withdraw from me because like, there's nothing from that. Like, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on yeah,
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're trying to have an intelligent conversation with a seven-year-old like it's not like asking you know the president why did you bomb this country and then he can give some bullshit answer but at least you have an answer seven-year-old's <laughs> not going to be able to communicate with you with the with an adult that you might be able to think about the agendas and so on but uh i also think maybe it's good to just state your opinion rather than ask why like obviously when you're asking why did you do that you're you're really saying I don't, I didn't really approve of you doing that. Is there something, uh, you know, maybe I'm missing something. I'm, I'm, I'm allowing for the fact that I've missed something. And uh, like with my kids, I would say something like, uh, you know, I'm really disappointed that you did that. And then I'll just, and then I'll be silent because <laughs> then they have to now fill the silence. And the only thing there is my disappointment. Do they want me to not be disappointed or not? Well, usually kids want their parents to be proud of them and not disappointed. So they'll, they'll fill the silence with something positive, hopefully. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I, I always just kind of go back to the idea that I don't see the outside world. I only see my reaction to it. So if my kid is doing something that I'm disappointed with or that's bothering me or that I think is wrong, I just got to remember, I'm not actually seeing what's occurring. I'm only seeing my reaction. And so sometimes I, you know, I like your point of saying, this is my reaction to what you're doing. What's your take? You know, like, actually, get, yeah. you know, one of the things that the gain does for people, so, like, my son's really into tennis, the one who I talked about, who was always trying to weasel out of chores. Um, he's 14 years old now. He plays tennis all the time. And when we first started doing tournaments with him, like, I would pay, even though I, I know nothing about tennis, he knows way more about tennis than me, but because I'm the adult, I guess I think I I should give him some pointers. Um yeah, no, it's, it's important. And he's, he's got, he's really enjoying it and stuff. But in the beginning, when, when I was first started writing the book and I I was a lot more in the gap then than I am now, I still go in the gap all the time, but like, I, I was a lot less aware when I was in the gap. And, um, you know, after his tournaments, if he would lose or something like that, I would immediately start, um, explaining to him what he was doing wrong, you know? Um, Rather than helping him define his own experiences, because that's really what the game's about is is ultimately defining your own experience. And so now, after his games, whether he wins or loses, I don't go and immediately project upon him my perspective of his experience. It was his experience. He was the one playing the game. I was sitting on the bench doing nothing. So why should I interject my opinion of what his experience was? And so, oh, but let me ask you a question. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, my main thing now is, is really trying to help him get better at defining his, the, the meaning of his own experiences. And so I, I, I feel like I've gotten better at, rather than projecting so fast, trying to frame his experience for him, just actually asking him, what did you get out of that experience? Like, what would what, what that do for you? Or what did you learn from that? Or what, what, what was your take on that, that tennis match? And actually just letting him define the experience for himself.
1: Yeah, and then in a meta way you could kind of nudge him to think about gains. Like, let's say he lost a match and he lost it horribly. Like, he missed- Which
0: he does regularly still because he plays a lot of people.
1: Oh, yeah. Look, I mean, th- this is an important part of, of of the whole idea of this book is that why are there gaps and gains? Because often for human beings to feel positive, they have to challenge themselves. And so your son's playing competitive tennis. That means he's playing against kids who've trained roughly as much as him, give or take- and they want to crush him, <laughs> and it's not like reading a book. He's like the book's not trying to like make you feel inferior and crush your soul, but like his opponents are, and uh, when he plays tennis. And so, let's say he he loses against someone that last year he beat, and he and he loses because of stupid mistakes, like he missed like eight serves in a row, and so he just and he lost by that game. He's going to feel horrible, and he might say, oh, why did I miss those serves? I feel horrible. I'm so stupid. I'm not going to be good at this. I'm not going to get into college. There goes my pro career. Uh, this guy's going to laugh at me the next day and whatever. And, like, what would you tell him then at that moment?
0: Like if he's just totally down after a big loss? Yeah. I mean, so, so we're, we're hypothetically saying, like, this leads to him losing all sorts of his dreams. Or is this just any match that he loses?
1: Uh, any match that he loses. Let's say he oh, just okay. feels horrible about okay, it. Okay,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that was... He didn't really feel horrible about it. He's really in the game these days, honestly. But um, but uh, last week, seriously, like five days ago, he had a tournament against four people and he lost to three of them. They were, they were all ranked higher than him, but he, he got wasted. You know what I mean? Um, but the question was what did you get from that experience? Like he played someone who was multiple levels above him. And he, there were some times when he actually like, he did win some, some games like, you know, there's games and sets and matches, I guess. Yeah. And so like, he actually, he actually did go toe to toe with some of these people, even though he got wasted. And so I was like, dude, Caleb, um, like, look, that person's ranked like five or whatnot. You're, you're, you're going to be there like obviously in a few months, like, um, like h- how would you have done against that person? if you were like three months ago, you know, like just kind of helping him realize like you actually were doing pretty well. Like you, you showed that person some stuff like, and so like helping him see that like it wasn't a waste. His competition was totally different. Like sometimes I think we, we think we're doing worse than we really are because we're actually taking on challenges we've never taken on. You know, I could feel like an awesome dude doing something I've done a million times and I can feel like I'm winning, but I'm not actually getting any better. But sometimes at, you know, to your point, Sometimes we're doing stuff we've never done. We're taking on challenges that are totally new and complex, and and because it's difficult, we actually feel like we're doing terribly when actually we're performing better than we've ever performed. It's just hard to really measure it that way because we're we're from the outside we're losing, but technically yeah. we're act- so. For my son, in this case, like I actually think he played his best tennis, even though he got destroyed, simply because he was he was forced to adapt to situations beyond anything he'd ever dealt with.
1: Does he, how does he, after a loss, how does he study to improve? Does he take video of his games?
0: It would be awesome if we did that. That'd be a great, great gain for us, honestly. He thinks about it. He talks about it. He reflects on it. He talks to his coach about it. You know, Um, he talks to me about it. I do think filming his stuff would be really good and watching his tape back like Tom Brady. That'd be, that'd be really good for his deliberate practice.
1: Yeah, like comedians always do that. Yeah, no, that'd be you really you don't know smart. when you're on stage in the in the moment when you're in the, the the heat of competition, you don't always know what you're doing. So if you could say, "Oh, I was standing a little weird," or "I didn't jump high enough on the serve," or "I didn't, I should have gone to the net on this one time," and but you know, I um,
0: that by the way is the biggest aspect of deliberate practice is going back and watching your old performances, you know, and actually yeah. studying them and actually learning from them.
1: And it, it's interesting because, and this is this is a perspective that I've had to use recently, you only really learn from the losses. And you could say, well, I study my wins just as hard as the losses, but you don't really. Like when you win, it's hard to say really where you went wrong, you won. So even your, where you went wrong, might've confused the opponent and allowed you to win. <laughs> like you don't really know, but when you lose, you did something wrong, <laughs> probably many things. And so you can really study it. Like I, as my listeners know, I've, st- I've started playing competitive chess for the first time in 25 years. I was very good 25 years ago. And I've started, I figured, okay, I'll, I'll study. I'll do all of my techniques. I'll study and get better. And then I'll play in a, a real over the board in real life tournament, not just an online tournament. And so I studied a lot for eight months. I studied online. I was crushing it. I was doing at least as well as I'd ever done in my life. And then something about playing in a tournament, the very first tournament was it was like the worst competitive experience of my life. Like, it's almost too classic how bad it was. It was five losses and three draws. I, I had never done a tournament where I didn't win a single game. So five losses and three draws. to People rated much lower than me. And I would just make, I was so upset at myself. But then I remember, you know, this idea that you only learn from studying your failures. And of course, with chess, you have a lot, you, you know, you, you write down all the moves so I could really study And then you have a computer that can help you and a coach that can help you. So I I figured midway through the tour, I figured, boy, I am collecting a treasure trove of possibilities to learn because there's, I obviously have so much to learn. I never, if I had won every game, I would have nothing to learn from this tournament. now I'm definitely going to get better as opposed to just ride my success. So it didn't solve things completely for my mindset, but it, it, it helped.
0: You can be upset that you lost and get nothing out of it, or you can really just take it as like this is really phenomenal feedback, right? Like it, you know. And if you're if you're putting yourself in those situations where you're trying to learn, trying to grow, trying to compete, um, you know, it's it's sometimes not enjoyable to have reality smash you in the face. But if you become if you become you know if you if you become willing, I guess to to actually learn from it, then you actually start to embrace even hard punches because you know that you can turn it into a game. You can really learn from it. You actually become grateful that you've lost because now you're more aware and you can adjust. And so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think that's great. I mean, I hope you keep going at it and keep getting better with it.
1: Oh yeah. I've now had three over the board tournaments and this last one I did very well. So I could see, I mean, that first one, I have a coach of course, and uh, we haven't, we haven't even finished going over all the games of the first one. Like, on the very first game, I have maybe 20 or 30 pages worth of notes so far, just learning from it. But you have some checklists in the book that are related to this.
0: I got a point, though, I got to share with you. You just really tr- sure. you triggered something. Have you ever uh, read Josh Waitzkin's book, The Art of Learning?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, Josh Waitz is great.
0: <sighs> yeah, I mean, that, he's got a full chapter called Investment in Loss. You know, and he talks about, you know, back when he was studying Tai Chi and whatnot, like, you know, when he was in an open gym— like there'd be opportunities where you could go and choose to spar with someone. And he said most people would just go against people their own skill level because they didn't really want to lose. But what Josh would do is he would go and purposefully compete with people like four or five skill levels above him and purposefully get the crap kicked out of him because he was investing in loss because he knew that if he could quickly expose his weaknesses, he'd much more quickly be able to start identifying them and adapting and, and adjusting them. And so he was purposefully putting him in situations where he was losing, but he saw it as an investment, and he found that other people who were unwilling to put themselves in situations against better competitors where they could have their weaknesses exposed, those people stopped progressing
1: yeah it's it's very true. Like I would see this in the stand-up comedy world, so a lot of times you're doing stand-up comedy, and a celebrity comedian shows up and wants to go on stage. so the the booker asks you, do you want to go before, like this happened to me, do you want to go before Bill Burr or after Bill Burr? And some people would say Bill Burr is the best stand-up comic on the planet. And I would always say, I want to go up immediately after Bill Burr. Because A, I know nobody else wants that spot. And B, the audience hates by default anyone who's going up after the celebrity comedian. Because they're, they just want to call their friend and say, oh, I just saw You know Dave Chappelle or Bill Burr or whatever, and now you're this now some stranger is just like that's not as good is is trying to make jokes up there, and that's a it's a very big challenge because you 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 live or die in those few minutes by how the audience is reacting to you, and it's that exact thing of investing in loss. But you also have this uh, you've got all these great checklists, and um, uh, a lot of it is also about. How do you, you know, like one guy? One guy's checklist was: uh, Is this going to help me financially? Is am I going to bro- learn something? Is okay. Oh, I, yeah, I yeah, that, uh, that was that uh,
0: was Lee Brower's success criteria. That's a uh, that's floating in chapter two. Um, but yeah, that's a uh, that's where you know he just has his own. It's kind of like will it make the book go faster? He has his own. He has his own filtering process for you know, and he developed that filtering process by the way through having lots of experiences. You know even going through hard experiences is a gain because it it allows you in a lot of ways to know what you don't want in the future. And so, um, in the case of Lee, he's just over time developed a really clean filtering process for, is this something I want to do? And he's got like five or six questions he asks himself to determine if it's worth his time.
1: Yeah. And I thought that was very valuable. And I started applying it to the things I'm doing in my life. And, and one thing about that list is or or around that writing that you did is that make sure you're doing this for the right reasons. Like, For instance, if I'm playing just to avoid some other thing in my life, or I'm I'm trying to prove something to someone else, if, you know, the reason I feel bad and a loss is because now everyone's going to think I'm a failure and stupid or whatever, like these are the wrong reasons to do something. And again, it's this energy thing. Like if you're allocating energy to proving yourself to someone else, whether it's through writing or chess or tennis or your job or whatever, or money, then that's going to steal energy away from, the task at hand. You have to do it. It's like uh, the the quarterback you, you you wrote about. You have to do it for intrinsic reasons. Like He loves football, but he doesn't need to prove himself to anybody. Or even he doesn't need to prove himself to himself. He loves playing football. So he doesn't have to be obsessed with it. He has faith in his work ethic. He works very hard. He knows what he needs to do to get better, obviously. But I think if you do something to prove something or to, to beat the neighbors or, you know, be richer than the neighbors or whatever. That's, uh, that's a that, bad thing. That's pure
0: gap. <laughs> yeah, doing it's pure something, gap yeah. Doing something to beat anyone else or to measure up to someone else is all you not living your own life. You not playing your own game because, you know, you don't have the same starting point as someone else, but you also don't have the same goal. And so why did you just now make them your goal? Um, why, why does their success have anything to do with you? Um, that's actually really, one of the things that the game helped me with fundamentally, it allowed me to actually just be my own life. Like I, I'm actually not competing with any other writers. Yeah, it is a zero-sum game, but like at the end of the day, no other person was gonna write this book. <laughs> like no other person was. Like, and and like no other person's gonna write the book that's in my head. And um, and and no other person's gonna have this conversation with you. And so um you know, I get to just, I, the nice part is, is that it'll act and back to kind of Trevor Lawrence, who was the quarterback, like he really is just playing his own game and he's doing it for his own love.
1: And that's so important. like, and, and, you know, thinking about metrics of success for, for a book, like you mentioned, you were unhappy that a a book wasn't a bestseller, but what if your book saved one person's life, like literally saved their life?
0: That's a big game. And I I know it did. I know it did. I know some people have That book, Willpower Doesn't Work. I mean, I'm really glad I wrote it because it has helped a lot of people, but I would ignore all of that if I was only measuring it against the ideal that I thought it was. I would see none of that. And that's really, that's even true with kids. You know, if you're in the gap or you're, you know, you're an entrepreneur and you're upset with your team, like, but in the case of kids, if you're always measuring your kid against where you ideally think they should be, you're actually missing so much of the growth that's already occurred, but you don't see it because the only thing you see is the gap between where they are and where they're not showing up and you, you really do miss that. So like to your point with the book, I actually missed all the gains for a long time because I was so in the gap. I didn't even notice the fact that hundreds or thousands of people, actually, some people lost 300 pounds, like people got off drugs. Like I didn't notice or care about any of that because I was so caught up in, I I didn't get what I wanted.
1: Yeah. These kind of shallow metrics, like, Oh, was it a bestseller or not? And (laughs) And I say shall only because not to you, but to me, like I've been through that horribly. Like every article you are right. you want it to have like thousands of likes and everybody loves you and, and Hey, I'm great. And, but, but all that is like you say, it's in, it's in the gap because you're trying to prove yourself or prove something to yourself or put someone else down or, and, you know, and you have a lot of these kind of checklists in the book that are very valuable to think about. And these exercises, like, why are you doing this? And, and. You know, I'll let people discover these exercises for themselves. But I really, I really think it's a good idea getting into practice. The oh, and speaking of Josh Waitzkin, he had you quote him in the book uh, saying, "What do I believe? What did I believe three months ago that I don't believe now?" That's extremely valuable. Like, take an example in chess. I realized that oh, uh, just because I'm doing well. Online doesn't necessarily mean I'm gonna do well in a real world tournament after twenty five years. I believe that they were correlated, but they're not as correlated. Now I realize they're not as correlated as I thought. So I have to figure out what skills I'm missing there. And you know, just or if in in business or let's say I thought my three months ago I thought my boss liked me, but now I realize he could be a dick sometimes or she. and uh so I've got to keep my options open. So I believe now I should keep more of my options open and not be so artificially loyal to uh, uh, this artificial institution.
0: Well, that is an interesting, you know, aspect of all of this, which we didn't really go into, but that's all right. It's just that because our brains adapt so much to our current perspective, and even our memory is based on reconstructing our current perspective towards the past, we actually undervalue how much we've changed, even in the last week. Like, chances are, like, if you were to actually go back into the brain of yourself a week ago, You actually probably see a lot of things different than you did even a week ago.
1: Yeah, because of your book, the gap and the gain.
0: (laughs) But 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 it's interesting because like, and you know, back to Waitzkin's question of you know, what did I believe three months ago that I no longer believe today? That's such a gain-oriented perspective. Like, it's literally inviting you to think about how am I different from my former self? Like, what were some of my assumptions, or what were some of my goals, or what were some of my you know, my thoughts about what I'm doing you might not even have the same goals as you had three months ago.
1: Um, well, well, but let me ask you this though. And and it's very interesting because, okay, when Josh Waits can ask that question and when we all ask that question, what do I believe now that I didn't believe three months ago?
0: Or vice versa, what did you believe three months ago that you no longer believe today?
1: <laughs> so you already have a different set of beliefs. What's the importance of now re-noticing that you have a different set of beliefs? What's the importance of that? Yeah, so you have the different set of yeah. beliefs anyway, regardless of whether you notice it or not. Yeah, but what but but there it does feel like there's something important about asking the question and answering that.
0: I think it just it goes back to confidence, hope, perspective. It helps you realize that you actually are gaining. You are growing, you're changing. It may not have been exactly how you thought, but because we're often measuring ourselves against ideals. We fail to appreciate or realize we actually are growing. We are different. We're not our former self, not even three months ago. And so that actually enables you to realize you can actually continue to grow in in bigger and bigger ways into the future. It it helps you clarify also like the changes you do want to make. You know, that's one of the great things actually about being in the game is that if you were to just look at, even at the end of the day, what are the three things that, um, you know, what are the three things that I got out of today? it immediately propels you to the future right well, what are the three things i want to get to tomorrow so it's like what are what are my biggest gains from the last 3 months what even if it didn't go as much as i wanted what are the three th- what are the biggest things i got in the last 3 months it immediately shoots you forward and thinks what do i want to get in the next 3 months
1: it's it's so interesting too because it also gives you a language of how to talk about your gains so if you never think about that and then you have a bad day you don't and and you're looking back at your day you don't realize you had gains because you never formed the vocabulary for it. So for instance, I could say, well, having this, you know, podcast with Ben is a gain. Um, later on, I'll talk to one of my daughters. That'll be a gain. Um, I actually lost my phone yesterday. I haven't found it. So I, so at first I was upset and you know, now it's been great. I haven't had to return any phone calls <laughs> today. I, 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 I haven't spent that much time on the phone, which I always hate doing anyway. So, and i been fine with it. But on a really bad day, I might be looking for gains, but I not, might not know where to find them if I hadn't really already established a kind of library or repertoire of experiences that were in fact gains. I might not recognize them when I need to. Like like you say, again, I like the idea of reps. It's, it's practice for the days when I really need it.
0: Yeah, there was a story that I really wanted to put in the book that didn't even end up making it in the book. But, you know, have you studied David Goggins much?
1: Yeah, yeah. David's been on the podcast. I I I really love his stuff.
0: You know how he talks? I don't know if you remember the part where he talks about like the imaginary cookie jar. So he's got this idea of imaginary cookie jar where whenever he's going through hell, you know, and like he obviously proactively puts himself through hell all the time, like running like ultramarathons and stuff. But he says he talked about the first time he ran an ultramarathon, he was running around in circles. Like, you know, I think that's where he met Jesse Isler. But basically. He, he had never trained for this thing. And then he tried to run 100 miles, and, and literally he was completely broken down. Like, he, he couldn't even get up. And when he realized, like, he sat down at, like, mile 50, and he got up, and he realized, like, his feet were all bloody and stuff like that. And basically the main point was is, is that, and he uses this as a technique, and he talks about it in his book. And I, I wanted to put this in the gap in the game, but it didn't make it in there. But um, he was basically saying that once all of the demons came, and he was in the darkest hell trying to get himself to keep going like nothing could motivate him to keep going except for thinking about his past wins like and he calls that going into his imaginary cookie jar and pulling out a cookie and eating it like he thought about you know when he made it into like the marines and like he said it would the, the, at your darkest lowest point which he describes as being when he was trying to go that hundred miles nothing nothing could conjure any motivation and then at that lowest burial moment the only thing he could grab was his gains. Like the only thing he could grab was look at what I accomplished. Like look, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. And he just calls it, imagine a cookie jar. Um, and he just says, I, I just ate those cookie chunks. Like, and he said that that gave him the energy to go and finish.
1: Yeah. And it, it, it's real energy. Like mindset is real energy or pers- whatever you want to call it. Mindset yeah. or perspective.
0: Oh, it is energy. It is energy. Yeah. I mean, when you focus on your gains, even in the last three months or the last three days, or go back five years, it gives you energy. Being in the gap yeah. sucks your energy, as you said. It suck- it takes it all away.
1: But what if you're what if you're not having as many gains as you used to? Like, let's say your next book just completely flops, and and nobody reacts to it at all. Totally, and it's think, very possible. You think, oh oh man, everyone loved the gap in the gain, and now they don't love uh, this kind of sci-fi horror I wrote, like what's going on?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, you can, you can do one of two things. You can either, you know, choose a different success criteria that you didn't actually write that, that sci-fi for, for viewers, but you, you know, you, you got different things out of that book. So you can either change your success criteria being one and find maybe a higher order metric of success and learning that like, you're still glad you did it, like, and you gotta or you can actually fundamentally dissect it and learn from it and get gains from it. Why wasn't this book as successful? Like what am I doing differently? You know, and then you might find gains, like some books, as you know, have like little cult followings where maybe maybe it's not as broad an effect, but it's having a deeper effect, you know, and so you can ultimately find gains, but also you can learn from it and ask yourself, did I go away from something that was was working or I mean, you can still get gains out of it even if even if even if the only gains are maybe I didn't have the same energy, maybe I didn't put as much quality into that book, and so you know I'm gonna learn from that and you know do better next time, like sometimes you know I like the saying you know you're either winning or you're learning, you know that goes back to the idea that you know you learn a lot through your through your often failures, and so You know, you can either change the success success criteria or you can just fundamentally learn a lot from it and just be in the game. Being mad about it's not going to change the fact that you just published the book.
1: Right. And and to your point about energy, if you just keep saying, I suck, I suck, I suck, (laughs) you may never write, you're not going to have the energy to even pitch a book idea again to a publisher or an agent or whatever. Uh, You might not start another book again because you're too afraid to fail again or what you viewed as failure. I'll close with this because I really love this beautiful quote that you put in the book from J. Krishnamurti. Um, And now I'm going to forget the exact quote, but it's basically, you either have freedom from or freedom to. So, oh, you could think to yourself, oh, if I had money, I could have freedom from all these awful bosses and this nine to five grind and all this. Or you could say, hey, if I work hard and, and achieve, I could aim towards freedom to play golf all day or freedom to write that novel I wanted to do or freedom to spend more time with my kids or whatever. So I, I like that. That's awesome. There's so much in this book is about perspective shift and how important it is to basically move your life forward. This one life we have. And I just, that was a really beautiful view of, of freedom.
0: Oh uh, yeah. I love that. I mean, that's, that's a big, big deep underlying tome of, of this whole idea. Like when you're in the gap, you feel like you need something. And so you're trying to free yourself from your, your current situation because, <laughs> you need something else you know i needed that new york times bestseller so i'm trying to free myself from my failing state the great part about the gain is is that it releases you from needing anything i don't need that bestseller i don't need my business to succeed or fi- i don't need anything uh, i can still choose what i want and i can go get what i want and that's what Re- earlier freedom too, is all about is stop worrying about what you're trying to escape and instead start just getting what you want um yeah. and it's 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 it's, it's, it's it, i love i love uh I love being free from unhealthy needs and attachments.
1: Yeah, don't, that is key, that don't we all? So, uh, Dr. Benjamin Hardy, does anyone ever call you doctor?
0: In random situations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dr. Hardy. <like>
1: that. <laughs> the subtitle is The High Achiever's Guide to Happiness, Confidence, and Success. The book is called The Gap and the Gain. It's a very quick read, actually. It's very well written, it's a very quick read. And I, I will make a personal guarantee that if you read this, you're going to feel better. You're going to have ideas about how to at least live your life today. You might forget it a month from now because it's always hard to build a new habit. But I'm, I'm, I am I'm, really like you how you put into words these fundamental ideas that are so important. Again, not just for happiness, but having energy to really do the things you want to do. And it's so important, the perspectives you bring in this book. So... I'm gonna to try to live more of my life in the game. I was I was in the gap this morning because of my lost phone. Sounds trivial, but couldn't find it.
0: We all go in the gap, man. We all go in the gap. Every every day. Every day.
1: But I just I instead I just like sat and read a book and didn't look at, I didn't have a phone to look at like at all. So it was good. But uh thanks so much, man, for for coming on. And and you should come on again. We'll talk about willpower and other things. I also wanted to ask you about your foster kids maybe that'll be on the next time but you're, you come on the get podcast again we'd love to have you back on It'd
0: be amazing man big pleasure thank you